Imagine a world where investing in real estate, art, or infrastructure is as easy as clicking a button, where assets traditionally out of reach for the average person are now accessible to anyone with an internet connection. This world isn't a pipe dream, at least not any longer. It's becoming our reality, or at least a potential reality, thanks to blockchain tokenization. Welcome to season two of From the Blockchain, where we speak to today's most innovative entrepreneurs and thought leaders to impact the true potential of smart contract technology, Web3, and the digital frontier. I'm your host, Ashley Smith from Fame Lady Squad, and I'm thrilled to have you join today's top tier community of forward-thinking trailblazers. We're here to foster a culture of idea sharing, creativity, and innovation that transcends industries, revolutionizes business, and drives meaningful conversation. If you're ready to forge a path to becoming a thought leader in your industry or organization, think of this podcast as your compass. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and be part of our amazing community. Oh, and please note that this podcast is for informational entertainment purposes only and should not be considered financial or investment advice. Alrighty, everybody, enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to From the Blockchain. This is your host, Ashley Smith. And I'm very excited for this unique episode that we're bringing to you today. Today, we are going to dive into the world of blockchain tokenization and its rippling effects across industries from the culinary arts to the storied halls of legacy corporations, as well as just why this word tokenization is all over my LinkedIn feed these days. I am going to set the stage with a review of tokenization, demystifying this buzzword that's more than just a piece of the blockchain puzzle, but a revolution in asset management and customer interaction. My main focus of this podcast is to take us into the practical applications, particularly in business, but I do want to make sure um, you also understand why this is important to say markets and investments. So I'm going to cover some of that stuff as well. Today, we will have a look at how restaurants, including exclusive upscale venues, chains, and small local operations can consider using this technology. And frankly, how some have already been leveraging tokenization to cook up some new experiences for customers, improve profit margins, and stir up fresh capital. Rounding things out at the end, we will discuss the strategic moves and governance frameworks that every business, especially the time-honored institutions, should consider to stay competitive in an increasingly digital world. Whether you are an entrepreneur curious about the potential of digital assets or a seasoned executive strategizing for the next disruptive wave, this episode is your primer on navigating the tokenized terrain of tomorrow's marketplace. I'm going to thank ChatGPT for helping me um, craft that introduction to this episode. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Tokenization is a, a word and a term that I continue to see, and it's something that I wanted to um, make sure we really cover in this show, because it's something that I'm expecting to be speaking about uh, in more depth in future episodes. And I know that even on my end, I really struggled and will probably struggle through this episode a little bit to outline what is tokenization when really it's like a fundamental part of this blockchain ecosystem. I went to a real life event this past week. Um, it was actually a Web3 and crypto community event in my hometown, Vancouver, Canada. And I was um, 
I helped host and promote the event and I was an MC. And so, you know, if you've ever been to an event where um, there's speakers involved, uh, it's very common for people to want to come up and speak to them. And, and I admittedly ended up in a conversation where I realized I'm like, do I really know how to talk about tokenization? Do I really understand it? And and I think the short answer is like, no, I don't. There's there's so many layers. There's so many things going on. So I wanted to try to take a deep dive. So as I mentioned, uh, we're going to look a bit at what is tokenization from the beginning. And we are going to touch on topics that we might not dive as deep into in this episode and some of the, like, the restaurant is example. But I think think it's worth having this base layer. Uh, I will I will say, by the way, I want to give kudos to Mahoney's Tavern in Vancouver. This is not a uh, an ad for them, but I want to plug them anyhow. The Web3 event that they hosted, really more of a, a crypto event. We had Jeff Booth, a uh, Bitcoin enthusiast and tech entrepreneur come and speak, brought a lot of people out. Um, but why, why are they doing this? Um, and actually, this little event is what prompted me to use restaurant as a use case for this conversation today, because I'm like, you know, I think about real estate, I think about some of these other more um, in my face businesses and industries where I'm like, okay, how is blockchain going to impact them, etc. Like, I haven't really given much thought to, to restaurants. So I thought it would be a fun one for today. But anyhow, kudos to the owners at Mahoney's Tavern. The reason they're interested in doing all this is because they've actually brought in a Bitcoin ATM to their downtown. Town, uh, conference center uh, location and actually take uh, various cryptocurrencies uh, as a point of sale. So they like bring out the little device and, and I've seen it uh, being done. I haven't done it myself in all honesty, but I saw someone paying with cryptocurrency for their lunch, uh, actually, uh, prior to the event. And it was really neat. So obviously, businesses are getting more interested and creative, and in this case, building community around um, some of the innovation that they're looking at. So I thought that was really cool. One of the things that I think I noticed, and in my conversation at that event, when I'm trying to talk about tokenization, is um, I think I've noticed even though I'm seeing an increase in the use of these terms um, from certain players in business, I think there is a cohort of folks who are starting to adopt blockchain technologies who might be a little bit sheepish about using the language, at least in public facing marketing kind of ways, um, you know, using if they're talking about uh, the benefit of a decentralized ledger using that language, decentralized ledger versus blockchain. Um, in the case of real estate, as an example, maybe using terms like fractionalized ownership versus tokenized ownership. And, and I have to wonder if it's because of just the bad press um, and just the you know, go-to-market strategy and not trying to complicate and confuse the consumer. So I think actually it probably confused me a little bit seeing, you know, different folks using different language. Um, but anyhow, all right, you guys, I'm going to give this a try. Uh, please remember that in so many ways I am learning with you. I should actually admit, I tried to record this podcast yesterday and stumbled through it like six times and realized I needed more prep time. So anyway, we're going to try again. Uh, while the child is napping, frankly, and let's give this a go. 
All right. Imagine a world where investing in real estate, art, or infrastructure is as easy as clicking a button, where assets traditionally out of reach for the average person are now accessible to anyone with an internet connection. This world isn't a pipe dream, at least not any longer. It's becoming our reality, or at least a potential reality, thanks to blockchain tokenization. Tokenization is the process of converting rights to an asset into a digital token on a blockchain. Think of it as creating digital shares, for example, of physical or intangible assets, which can range from buildings to intellectual property and beyond. Okay, so tokenization, why does it matter? It has been in the news a lot, um, at least in my feeds and in my LinkedIn feeds uh, in, uh, in particular. What I'm really seeing is uh, an emphasis and focus on the tokenization of the term that's often used as RWA, real world assets. And this is just what I'm seeing making a lot of noise right now. There have been multiple quote unquote expert reports suggesting a predicted significant increase in tokenized real world assets and the value of such assets in the coming decade. Now I've seen different numbers, I've seen different reports, and I don't mean to like belittle uh, these organizations by saying quote unquote experts, but um, you know, these are folks who are spending a lot of time research and I'm sure um, talent and capital to like really dive into what all of this means. But we're seeing various estimates, but in the trillions of, you know, where these real world assets being tokenized on the blockchain over the next five to 10 years. So lots of money. I am going to put some of these reports that I've found and read um, into the show notes of, uh, of this podcast. I will take this opportunity to say, if you don't ever check the show notes, it may be worth doing so in the uh, actual podcast notes, like direct, if you're listening to Apple or Spotify, you're not going to see like the a, a full list of all of these links, but there will be one link to from the blockchain.org with this particular episode that, you know, you're listening to. And in that episode site, um, you will find all of the references and all of the links, uh, as many as I can. And in this case, there's probably going to be quite a few. And I'm probably straight up plagiarizing um, and quoting some of these uh, resources just because I just want to make sure that I'm referencing it correctly. But anyhow, back to the, these like money markets and real world assets and people looking at how this is going to be a huge market in and of itself. So BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, have been getting into tokenization in a big way. Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, has been quoted and referenced many, many times. But over the last year in particular, one of his public quotes, which was recorded at like an onstage discussion, he said, I believe the next generation up for markets and next generation for securities will be the tokenization of securities. He goes on to say, think about instantaneous settlement of bonds and stocks, no middlemen. We're going to bring down fees even more dramatically. So that kind of gives you um, some insight into like where 
what they're thinking about, um, what they're prioritizing, and the why, like the incentives. In October last month, uh, JP Morgan carried out its first live blockchain-based collateral settlement transaction involving BlackRock, JP Morgan's own Ethereum-based blockchain and the bank's tokenized collateral network was used by BlackRock to tokenize shares in one of its money market funds. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be real. The, this whole world of money markets is one that I have just not spent any time in my, my life watching or looking at. So this is probably an arena that I should be spending more time looking at, planning for my future. Um, but what is interesting is now we're seeing these traditional finance bodies um, really starting to look at Web3 technologies and DeFi. So like we're starting to hear even like crypto bros talking about TradFi and DeFi. So those are words that I wouldn't be surprised you'll start hearing more and more. Again, I'm going to just full disclaimer. I'm not an expert. I'm not an engineer. I'm not someone who spends a lot of time thinking about buying, selling, trading cryptocurrencies or getting into DeFi, even though I probably should uh, be exploring this a little more. And as I mentioned, I'm going to rely more heavily in this episode on some quotes from resources uh, because I just want to make sure that I'm as accurate as I can be, but I am open to feedback. Um, I should also say that as we review, especially in the first half of the show when we're talking about tokenization that this is going to be like my best attempt at a simplified overview it's not exhaustive it's going to be somewhat general and i'm also going to say that different resources and reputable resources that i've looked at have different things to say about some of these things um how to categorize um these uh tokenized uh assets um different language different ways of lumping things together. Um, I think obviously part of this is there's been a bit of an evolution. Um, but, you know, if you see some of these things being discussed in slightly different ways on different websites, I'm not surprised basically is my point. So tokenization, it's important to recognize um, that the, the word has been used for a long time in business, particularly in um, areas where like credit cards have been used and data, sensitive data has been tokenized to secure that data. Um, and so it, it is related to this word, although in a blockchain context, it does have very different implications and different um, applications. So again, as I go into these four categories that I'm going to talk about, um, there's gray areas. In some cases, there's overlap depending on the use of the tokens um, and sometimes even disputed um, different arguments about what falls into what category. Okay, so I'm going to do my best. But the, the first one is simple, I think, uh, cryptocurrency uh, tokens. So um, cryptocurrencies used for trade and spending with things like stable coins being asset backed, while others would rely on the blockchain's mechanics for value, or of course, in my opinion, uh, market sentiment. <laughs> We're not going to spend much time further talking about the tokenization of currency in this regard today. So cryptocurrency is one um, one category. The next one, and, and um, one that is probably got a variety of different uses is security tokens. Investopedia says a security token is um, an investment asset, a digital asset that represents ownership or other rights and transfers value from an asset or bundle of assets to a token. In plain language, security tokens are the digital form of traditional investments like stocks, bonds, or other securitized assets. 
For example, a company that wishes to raise funds for an expansionary project can, in theory, I'll mention, decide to issue fractionalized ownership of their company through a digital token instead of issuing stock. It could then offer this token to investors on an exchange that allows digital security tokens. Maybe to be even more clear, digital these are digital assets that drive their value from an external asset that can be traded. So when we're looking again at real world asset tokenization, the process of bringing real world assets on chain as security tokens to take advantage of blockchain technology. You can see entities like government and businesses issuing security tokens that serve the same purpose as stocks, bonds, and other equities. And of course, things like real estate uh, as an example. According to the Blockchain Council's website, security tokens are digital assets subject to federal laws representing ownership in real world assets and providing financial returns based on asset performance. Security tokens focus on asset tokens tokenization, legal compliance, ownership representation, efficient transfer of ownership, increased liquidity, global accessibility, automated compliance, fractional ownership, and innovation and fundraising. So like, there's obviously a lot there. I can appreciate that might still be very confusing, but I'm hoping at the very least what you can take away here is there's different types of tokenization that's happening and each have their own advantages or, and or challenges, um, especially in these early days. Something that security tokens can often be confused with are tokenized securities. So tokenized securities are different than um, security tokens, uh, at least can be. So <laughs> what I mean by this, tokenized securities are securities that move on blockchains. They're tokens that represent either specific off-chain assets or that mimic established asset groups such as bonds, shares, or funds. All tokenized securities could be classified as security tokens, but not all security tokens are tokenized securities. So I hope that adds a little bit of clarity there. I'm sure we're going to hear more and more about tokenized securities. So I think that's why we want to kind of have a basic level of understanding. I do think that sometimes these things getting confused and the risks associated perhaps with different ones or challenges is what can get in the way of adoption. I should also note that there are public and private blockchains. And so this may very well be relevant, especially for traditional institutions where you may be more likely to see things moving onto private blockchains versus public. This is something to watch and something to note. Okay, so we have now talked about cryptocurrency, security tokens, tokenized securities. Now, what about utility token? I feel like utility is the thing that was discussed so much in my experience with NFTs, because everyone's talking about what utility comes with this NFT and, and a lot of like promises and, and non-delivery perhaps. But anyhow, utility tokens in contrast to security tokens provide access to specific services within a blockchain ecosystem and are not subjected to securities regulations, though they can face regulatory uncertainty and issues with the token's intended use. So sometimes though the intended use might be of certain utility, the perceived um, benefit for example, from the consumer um, or holder, could be that it's supposed to deliver on some sort of financial return. And that's where things can get sticky. According to the Blockchain Council, utility tokens are user tokens or app coins. When a company creates a utility token, it means that it is essentially creating a form of a digital coupon that can be redeemed in the future for discounted fees or special access to a product or service. 
Unlike security tokens, utility tokens are not used as investments, and they can be exempted from the federal laws governing securities if they are properly set up. Determining whether a utility token qualifies as a security or not can be challenging, leading to legal risks for both issuers and investors. Now, as I say that, I don't want to scare people away from utility tokens. I think that this is probably one of the more interesting things for businesses, for example, to be thinking about. But it is really important to be asking yourselves the right questions, making sure there's a lot of clarity, probably making sure you have received some legal advice or you're working with perhaps um, an agency that knows the answers to all these questions that can help you, especially in these earlier days. Let's see here. As they relate to practical applications within a network, they could be a focus for businesses looking to use blockchain for operational functions or for offering customers new ways to interact with services. Okay, so how does a utility token work? A utility token is a type of cryptocurrency. You know, I, guess I say that because that's what's being said, but I think that it also can make things very confusing, especially when you're using, say you're giving someone a utility token and they don't even know it's on chain. It's like, I think the idea of it being, yes, it's a type of cryptocurrency in the near future, a lot of people aren't going to necessarily perceive it that way, not necessarily tie these tokens in their minds in the context of cryptocurrency. Anyway, sorry, that's an aside, but that's just my general feeling and prediction. But anyhow, it has a specific purpose with a blockchain ecosystem. It's called a utility token because its primary function is to provide access to a particular product or service on a blockchain platform. Now, I'm noticing big interest in this particular category as well. And I personally have particular interest in utility tokens, especially from a business perspective. I think this is where um, organizations can really get creative, get their innovation juices flowing and thinking about what can they do? How, how can they maybe even enhance um, certain programs or things that they've done in the past in a new, modern, innovative uh, and tech enabled way? So uh, I, I also think marketing teams, this is where like these are the things marketing teams can be thinking about. So, of course, the big one, the one we've mentioned in the past and is kind of the best use case, I think, in many ways, at least from this perspective, is loyalty programs. So tokenized loyalty programs typically fall into the category of utility tokens. These tokens represent access to a product or service that are used within a specific ecosystem. Um, in this case, the loyalty program of a company. They can be used to redeem rewards, access special offers, or even vote on decisions within the loyalty program if it's structured like that, or even like a DAO, uh, a decentralized autonomous organization. Utility tokens and loyalty programs are often designed to increase customer engagement by providing a practical and sometimes fun way to interact with the brand or company. And they're not uh, emphasis, they are not primarily investments or securities. Instead, they're a means for a customer to interact with the company's services more deeply uh, and beneficially. So if you haven't already, I do recommend you go back to earlier this season where I spoke with Adam Brotman from Forum 3. He also happened to be the person deeply involved with the Starbucks uh, Odyssey experience, uh, blockchain-based loyalty program, which is just something that people are looking at regularly as a great example and use case of how these things can be done. Um, but he also talks a bit about, you know, how you can take this and move it into different uh, businesses and categories. So now something I haven't discussed in these four um, tokenized categories. Um, there are other things to mention, like governance tokens. Again, people might put this into its own category or put it into 
one of these others, NFTs, um, again, I think can fall into different categories. But the point here is um, starting to really recognize what's the difference between NFT non-fungible token versus a fungible token, um, because fungible is something that can basically be exchanged um, for something else of equal value, like basically one Bitcoin for one Bitcoin, whereas an NFT um, is something where it's very distinct. And while it can be traded for a value that they deem is appropriate and fair, it's not like the exact same thing that maybe is being exchanged. Again, lines can be blurred, there can be crossover here. Um, and I might categorizing these in ways that like super experts might like totally balk at. But Anyways, this is my best, <laughs> this is my best attempt. Okay, so let's quickly go back to real world assets. RWA, uh, real estate, infrastructure, art, collectibles, even intellectual property, uh, which can now be divided into fractional ownership and traded more freely, uh, potentially. Uh, so like, why, why is this something that's um, being considered and something that people are putting a lot of emphasis on? 24-7 operations and data availability, um, something very different than to traditional money markets, for example. It gives liquidity to illiquid assets. Think of like the home you live in. Maybe you don't want to sell it, but you want to get money. <laughs> Basically, something an alternative to a loan or a mortgage, perhaps, as an example, or of course, portfolios. Opportunity to fractionalize assets, uh, which can be for the purchaser or investor, more more affordable, of course, uh, more accessible in that, that way. Much faster transaction settlement times, which is significant um, automation efficiencies are added. More accessibility to a variety of investor types. Um, a lot of people use the term democratization, you know, of access, for example. Though I think to realize this, a lot of people will argue scale is still significantly needed. Enhanced transparency powered by smart contracts. For example, smart contract for carbon credits for blockchain can provide an immutable and transparent record of credits, removes intermediaries, it's cheaper, more nimble. There's all these things. Okay. So I know I'm kind of flip-flopping all over the place, but I just want to add some context as to why people might be thinking about this, why people think there might be money here, why it's in the news, um, and why it could maybe matter to you. Of course, there are still many regulatory hurdles, not just around clarity, but think about uh, for example, especially from an investment perspective, um, and that that sort of lens when looking at this, like think about international participation, like who's legally allowed to participate in, in investment. And of course, anti-money laundering, anti-terrorism, like there's all these things that I'm sure um, are being discussed in many ways. I also will recommend you check out the episode I did recently with Ben Yablon, uh, as we do discuss government policy and regulation, the challenges, what's happening, who's kind of like leading the way, some of his thoughts as someone who who's um, very involved in sort of uh, global policy recommendations, you know, where, where some of the lagging is in North America, for example, US in particular. But still, despite all of this, things are moving forward. Innovation is happening. One opinion I read suggests that higher interest rates are actually moving a lot of these, a lot of this innovation forward. Because, you know, if you have a lot of money in something and you're trying to move um, investments or whatever, the difference of like one, two days can be significant, can cost a lot, uh, that sort of a thing. Anyways, a lot more to talk about in this regard, and mainly thinking about cryptocurrencies and DeFi. For now, like really not going to dive into this. It's not my forte. I think it's best left to someone who really spends their time thinking about this. And it's, of course, not the primary focus of the podcast, which is like 
that would be more investment side versus business use cases. But I do think as all of these things are growing and developing together, it's important to kind of understand the ecosystem a little bit, at least understand kind of what the sentiment is, where where movement is happening and where big money uh, in particular is coming in. And so I will say that um, things that you might think about, depending on what you do for work uh, or what organization you might lead is like, how could this impact impact investment portfolios, retirement funds? How could it impact debt markets? I, I wonder in real estate, like what could this mean for sectors such as mortgages and other home loan uh, type financing as an example? And like all of the implications um, that could come from that if there's like all this access to new ways of getting money, whether that makes uh, things easier and more affordable and more accessible and more democratized, uh, but also could that then have a negative effect, furthering negative effect on like housing affordability, that sort of a thing. Um, so that's, that's a whole that's a whole other podcast, but this is just where my mind is going. So over the course of future episodes, I'm sure we'll dive deeper into various types of security tokens. So just stay tuned. And if you have specific questions, let me know. Um, and again, I'll just remind everybody, if you're interested, dive into the reports that I'm attaching, because there is going to be way more context, way more information, particularly about some of these investments and money market real world assets sectors. So let's look at how might a restaurant be thinking about blockchain tokenization? What kind of uh, opportunities are they presented with in, in order to innovate, streamline operations? Can they unlock new revenue streams regardless of the scale of their business? Like what about some real life use cases? Uh, I'm going to try to dive into some of those. I'm not going to lie. Okay. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, this idea to talk about restaurants um, was kind of just random for me. I figured it was something I hadn't thought much about. It was something I've never really talked about on the show. And I basically just started making notes of ideas that I had. And then, of course, I started looking up like what folks are actually thinking about, like concepts. And then I started seeing a lot of innovation actually happening in this space, more than I had realized. And, and some of it has been happening for some time. Um, and actually, as of very recently, some noteworthy forward momentum specifically in this sector. So I'm going to try to get into it all. I wasn't expecting to have so much to talk about, frankly. All right, let's get right into it. Okay. So first think about expansion uh, for restaurants. So whether we're talking about franchise expansion, as an example, tokenization can simplify the process of raising capital for expansion by offering tokens as digital shares in new outlets, which investors can buy to fund the development of new locations. And for perhaps a smaller enterprise, uh, investment for renovation or upgrades potentially. So instead of traditional loans, a small restaurant might look at tokenizing a percentage of their future revenue to raise funds for renovations, allowing supporters to invest in the restaurant's success. Now, I will put a caveat in here. There's lots of potential things going on here legally and looking at the regulatory framework. Um, Technology-wise, these things certainly are possible. Um, I would expect that these types of things are going to be... Um, more trialed, <laughs> uh, you know, in the future. So while it might not be the thing to do today, these could be things to be watching and and seeing if there's progress. Um, and of course, um, there's going to be 
you know, implications depending on where you live in the world, for example. Payments. So payments are a simple one. Um, restaurants can decide to accept crypto. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, the venue that I was at for this uh, event recently, uh, they have started accepting crypto payments. Now, of course, this can cater to a specific demographic of consumer for sure, like folks who are really into cryptocurrency and they love using it and maybe are really against using banks. <laughs> but um, that being said, and by the way, I should say that I think cryptocurrencies are likely going to move um, beyond just that demographic. We, we're starting to see it. But why would a restaurant besides that uh, be interested in adopting crypto payments? Um, what we are hearing from folks participating in this, um, they're reporting faster settlements, reduced fees, which is obviously really important when margins are tight. But obviously, um, you know, unless they're getting only crypto payments at this point, it might not be uh, super significant in their operations. But anyhow, reduced fees and the elimination of fraud, which is actually a big one. Okay, so asset tokenization. This is something pretty interesting. And I think we're seeing it outside of the restaurant space, but in food. So we just talked about real world asset tokenization. But for example, if the restaurant owns valuable assets like vintage wine collections um, or even exclusive culinary creations, for example, they could consider tokenizing the assets and selling shares to patrons, creating a new investment asset class. I would say that the wine or unique bottles are probably going to be the, the highest use case. Um, you know, at least in the short term, uh, something that we've seen outside of restaurants, but something that restaurants certainly could could consider. Now, loyalty programs, of course, this is the big one. Um, there's lots of different ways to look at this. I think you can simply look at traditional loyalty programs and look at whether or not bringing that on chain could drive more value and more efficiency and a better connection to the community and your customers. A chain restaurant, as an example, could tokenize its loyalty rewards, allowing customers to trade or exchange their points in a broader market, uh, potentially even across different brands or services. I'm going to share with you an example of something that's been in the news lately that I think uh, is quite interesting in this regard. But, but just think about what might a restaurant be able to provide its patrons uh, as value adds. Something as simple as skipping the line if it's more of a fast food chain to something much more exclusive if it's a higher end establishment. Um, community engagement, uh, th th this kind of falls in line with loyalty programs, but it might not necessarily. Uh, an independent restaurant could consider using uh, tokens, um, issuing tokens to local patrons, which could be traded for meals or discounts, uh, just something that can deepen community engagement and customer loyalty. The other thing I'm thinking about is what about reviews? You know, you go in, uh, online and look at reviews and and I think especially if you're the owner of a st an establishment, um, sometimes you might see a troll, uh, which is okay. It's just part of business. But uh, what if there was a way to authenticate reviews? And I do anticipate that this is going to be um, a solution that's going to be provided in a variety of arenas, including restaurants, of course. Now, we can also think about NFTs separate from all of the above, like just simply digital art collectibles. And this is bringing it really down to basics, like what if your um, your restaurant decides to partner with a local artist, for example, and um, 
gift or or comes with a receipt uh, as a, an NFT, which is kind of neat. It's it's more for fun and it can help cross promotion. It can help you showcase how you're supporting local artists as an example. But of course, there's opportunities for big notable artists and uh, different things that can be done there. Just as I'm preparing this, I'm I'm, I'm really just trying to drive some of the types of opportunities that can be imagined. But like, what if you were a huge Anthony Bourdain fan? And what if you could get a distinctive commemorative NFT for every restaurant or eatery that Anthony Bourdain visited and wrote about or documented in his shows? That's just like, obviously, that's that would require collaboration amongst a lot of different um, owners. It's not impossible. And there's lots of ways you can take that concept, make it smaller, perhaps, um, and, and do something really fun. So before we dive a little deeper into some of the other ways uh, restaurants could benefit from using blockchain technology and tokenization. Let's look at some current use cases, things that are going on in the um, sector. Earlier this year, Resi founder Ben Leventhal announced his loyalty program for restaurants called Blackbird and recently in October announced an expansion to the program. Ben claims that this will give independent restaurants the means to identify and reward regulars for the first time. So basically he's um, created a tool, a blockchain-based tool for other restaurants to use. The New York-based company uh, recently announced that its pilot program has been actually quite a big success and that it's expanding from New York to San Francisco and LA uh, and has actually raised an additional $24 million through A16Z. So that just kind of goes to show you where some of the money is coming and that even during, um, you know, the last year where there was not a lot of excitement around blockchain in the public sphere, there are people focused on this stuff building really neat solutions, and of course, investing their capital. So Blackbird is the first app that will enable restaurants and members to text back and forth in real time, which is really interesting. Um, and they will tag diners who sign up at no cost, by the way, and track their visits. So um, they're able to identify repeat customers and reward them with perks. Uh, as examples could be free cocktails, extra desserts, birthday discounts, things of that nature. Uh, the restaurants that are participating get to decide really what those perks are. So so far, about 20 restaurants in Manhattan and Brooklyn have Blackbird readers in their venues. One of the problems that I think they're looking to solve, for especially for independent restaurants like these, direct marketing to patrons can be very difficult. Like they're in your establishment, they have a great time, but once they're gone, I mean, most of them are not going to be on your email list. This allows a stronger connection, especially for folks who are regulars at, at establishment. They're really looking at building out this kind of guest relations uh, role that, that a lot of establishments cannot afford or don't have the bandwidth to perform. They do collect basic personal data, um, name, your area information, perhaps birth date, but other details can also be available, like what you've ordered, special requests, things such as food allergies, uh, that sort of a thing. So you really can start building out um, your preferences as a customer, which is really neat. And there's more information for the venue to make sure that they're getting it right. And of course, allows for opportunities to surprise and delight customers. And one of the things they mentioned as an example is there's a difference between knowing someone's birthday and being able to like actually contact that person and inviting them in for a drink and really having that personal touch and a value add to the customer. And, and so these are things that I don't think a lot of restaurants generally practice. Now, there might be some really wonderful uh, business practices and strategies out there. But when we're talking about the majority of restaurants, I can tell you that 
I'm quite certain no restaurants that I regularly go to um, have this information on me. The restaurants can determine their own system of rewards um, with different tiers, as an example, based on number of visits. On each visit, customers earn a certain amount of credit. In this case, it's called fly, like a token with the little um, dollar sign in front of it, dollar sign fly that can be spent at any of the Blackbird restaurants. Um, in sort of this blockchain and crypto uh, world, fly are what we would call native tokens. But for practical purposes and for everyday people that don't care about that, they basically operate like credit card points or airline miles. So I know I'm going a little deep, but I think this might help address some of the things people are wondering about. Uh, so Blackbird has installed chip readers under the tables at the participating restaurants. So when a member comes in and is seated and places the phone on the table, the restaurant actually gets an automatic alert. Um, now, depending on, for example, if you have different tiers of um, customer loyalty, you know, if you're in tier one, you might get a free cocktail on a certain number of visits. And then as you, you know, proceed to come in more and more, you move up tiers and might get extra benefits like merchandise or foods like hot sauce, an example that they use in, in a, um, the New York Times article that I'm referencing, which I'll include in the show notes. Okay. I know I've gone a little off here, but um, there is a really interesting white paper about this model from Blackbird. Um, it also talks a bit about the fly tokens and all of that. And so I'll include that. And if that's of interest, you can check it out. And so I guess what I'm trying to get at here as well is A, these things are starting to happen. Um, but B, th there are going to be companies out there that can help facilitate some of this stuff if you're not interested in trying to create something in-house, which, which also could be an option. But it is interesting. We'll see you know, how successful they are. Okay, let's move on. Waste management. Doesn't seem sexy, uh, but it is a big problem in the in the food industry. Foods like meats and produce can, of course, spoil. Mishandling, storage, and transportation concerns can all contribute to major losses. Uh, data from the Internet of Things. I always see this IoT written out, and I need to remind myself: Internet of Things and cloud analytics can help with algorithms based on consumer and agriculture technology uh, to predict the freshness of food from the source to the chopping table. Uh, false claims of freshness can effectively be challenged uh, because of the immutability and integrity of blockchain data. Of course, this can help uh, to, to find inefficiencies in the supply chain. Um, but another solid use case is helping the restaurant track food temperatures and then verify like the health and safety standards throughout the journey uh, from farm to fork. This can be done by setting up temperature sensor in the restaurant's delivery truck as an example. So there's lots of really interesting things happening here. Of course, this can help benefit at a restaurant's bottom line, enhance the quality of their food and offering, and hold suppliers accountable. Now, there are also further supply chain management and food authentication um, benefits here. Restaurants can choose to utilize blockchain to tokenize the supply chain, tracking the provenance of ingredients, ensuring quality, and enhancing transparency for customers who are increasingly interested in the origin of their food. So think of things, things that we, we know people care about today, fair trade coffee, organic, sustainably sourced fish, as an example, seafood, um, authentic wine, cheese, olive oil. I did a little TikTok about all of the fake Parmesan, quote unquote, Parmesan cheese that's out there fraudulently being sold all across the world. Now, uh, this can come down to like, who are your customers? Do they care about these things? Um, of course, if you're like a higher end establishment, this might matter a little bit more. I can think of like a Michelin star restaurant is going to be 
um, wanting to promote and really showcase the origin of their food. I think it also can add to storytelling. It can add to showcasing um, some of the environmental and social programs that maybe you support or um, at the very least are aligned with in values. So I think that's an interesting part of it and you can prove it. It's not just a story. Now I mentioned, of course, that like, yes, a Michelin starred restaurant, those types of patrons might care more about some of these things. But uh, here I am in Canada. One of the fast food companies here is called A&W. All of their commercials are about the, the quality of their food. So, you know, grass fed meat as an example. Well, now this sort of thing can actually prove it. It may serve the spectrum of restaurants more so than we would think. Um, it can also help track and better prepare restaurants, be better positioned, you know, to know what kind of foods they will and won't have for daily, weekly menu items, for example. So that's something that can also be thought about. And also a big deal, uh, this can help a lot with recalls uh, much more effectively uh, and timely. Walmart, as an example, I know this isn't a restaurant, but it is within the realm, has been using blockchain uh, for food safety purposes for several years. It can really, really help with these recalls. It can also help prevent waste and it can help um, deal with sort of the public PR side when you can really track like where did the food come from, what was affected, what wasn't and potentially who even purchased it. Uh, Nestle has also jumped on the food traceability uh, game. They have been using blockchain tech since 2017 uh, to help users trace the origins of some of its products. They're able to track farmer and harvest information for cocoa beans, all to provide transparency for consumers, plus increase sustainability for farmers and natural resources. I guess my point is this is happening. It's happening outside of the restaurant space, but it's certainly going to impact. And what I also wonder, kind of coming back to all of this from a business perspective is, what are the consumers going to be expecting? What should you be thinking about, um, you know, for say five years from now, what are your customers going to be wanting? What sort of expectations might they have? If you don't, for example, decide to adopt things like supply chain management, um, will customers care? Uh, what if some foods offered on your menu are now perhaps known to not be what your customer would want. Perhaps even if you don't proactively adopt the technology, maybe there's other ways that they can see that you're actually not getting the types of things that they they would choose to consume otherwise. So that's just something to think about. Okay, so there are other things that restaurants could be thinking about, and I don't want to dive into all of them because I think then our show is getting way too long here, but just use of smart contracts. There's lots of uses. You can think of like leases, franchise agreements, supplier documents. There's lots of ways to help automate a lot of your administrative practices and help um, reduce costs and, and more efficiency, make sure things get done on time and a lot of, you know, data transparency. Now, of course, data is another um, thing to think about, data privacy and security. Something I haven't mentioned, but I'm also noticing progress in the sort of food delivery side of things. And that's it's obviously food delivery, things like Uber Eats and, and that sort of business model have impacted the business operations of restaurants. Um, but we are seeing things like how consumers are interacting with these types of platforms and looking at how their data is protected and secured. So something to be thinking about as well. All right. One more example, because I, I have to. Uh, Fly Fish Club is a restaurant, a Manhattan-based company co-founded by Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, so it's something that I've been familiar with for some time. They actually are like 
It's a restaurant that's born out of Web3. Uh, if you've listened to the show, we've talked about Gary Vaynerchuk quite a bit. I don't really need to offer much more explanation about who that is. Uh, but anyhow, Fly Fish Club is the world's first members-only private dining club where membership is purchased as an NFT and owned by the token holder to gain access to the restaurant and various culinary, cultural, and social experiences. The membership becomes an asset to the token holder, which can later be sold, transferred, or leased to other on the secondary market, only members can make reservations. Now, um, the, as far as I know, the restaurant isn't open, but I think it's set to open soon. These NFTs uh, for membership were sold out successfully in 2022, and there were different levels of membership. Um, that, that's it. I'm not going to go deeper into that, but if it's something that you're curious about, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. But as you can see, there's obviously innovation happening in this space, and there's lots of opportunity, and there's way more the uh, I could ramble on about, but I, the purpose of this thought exercise is to really help, um, think about all the different ways tokenization, uh, and blockchain technology can impact, uh, a sector. And, and so now I do want to get into some of the strategy and risk assessment and opportunity assessment stuff, whether you're a, a restaurant or any type of business owner or board member or senior executive. So I'm going to actually rattle through a few things that companies could be thinking about or asking themselves if they want to consider blockchain tokenization uh, as part of their business model one way or another. The context I'm talking about here is mostly for USA and Canada, but I'm sure you can be asking yourself similar questions regardless of where you are in the world. But okay. So if you're thinking about getting involved in using blockchain tokenization, what should you be asking yourself to ensure that you're compliant with the regulators, with your local laws, and to make sure that you're moving one step in the right direction rather than getting yourself into a whole lot of trouble. Um, so things to think about are compliance with securities laws. Are the tokens you're issuing or considering to issue securities by the SEC in the US or by Canadian security regulators? Uh, this will determine the need for registration or finding exemption under securities laws. Any money laundering and know your customer regulations. Will issuing tokens require me to perform checks on potential investors? Both US and Canada uh, have strict guidelines for financial transactions to prevent illicit activities, of course. What are the tax implications? How will revenue generate through tokenization be taxed? Um, understanding this is really, really important for compliance with IRS and the CRA, which are the tax authorities. What about consumer protection? Does tokenization align with consumer protection laws uh, in your jurisdiction, ensuring that customers' rights are protected when they purchase or trade tokens? Financial reporting requirements, cross-border regulations, data privacy, Payment systems regulation. So, you know, these are just really questions. I don't have all the answers here, that's for sure. But these are things that I think, while I'm incredibly bullish on the technology, and I think there's going to be some really interesting ways the tech is going to be used, probably in ways that we can't even imagine right now. If you're really thinking of diving deep into this, you want to make sure that you have the capacity to ask yourself these questions and answer them and get, you know, professional advice, of course. Okay. 
So last part of the show, what if, you know, you're a legacy company and you're not quite ready to leap into the technology in a meaningful way just yet, but you do recognize its potential significance. How might you want to strategize to stay ahead of, or at least be aware of forward momentum and adoption of the technologies in order to ensure that you're ready to innovate at the appropriate time, or you're at least prepared for fundamental shifts in the landscape that you do business in? Like what should your company, your board, your CEO be asking themselves today, uh, for example. Okay, so here are several key areas I think should be looked at. First, education and knowledge building. What educational initiatives can you implement to increase your understanding of blockchain tokenization and its implications for your industry? How can you stay updated on developments in blockchain tech and related regulations? Okay, so those are really good questions to ask yourselves. What about market research and analysis? What are your competitors doing in terms of blockchain adoption? What can you learn from their successes and what can you learn from their failures, if any? How is your customer base responding to blockchain tokenization in that market? Technology partnerships and alliances. Should you consider partnerships with fintech startups or blockchain innovators to keep a finger on the pulse of emerging tech? How can you leverage strategic alliances to gain insights without fully committing to the technology? An important one, risk assessment. What risks might blockchain tokenization pose to your current business model and how can you mitigate them? How can you balance the potential disruption with the potential benefits of adopting the new technology? What about innovation labs or pilot programs? Could you establish an innovation lab or run a pilot program to experiment with blockchain applications on a small scale? How can you ensure that these pilots are agile and able to pivot based on findings and market trends? Regulatory engagement. How can you engage with regulatory bodies to influence and understand the legal framework that will shape the future of blockchain tokenization? What is your strategy for compliance if you decide to adopt these technologies in the future? Scenario planning, one of my favorite uh, things, um, just because it's really fun. I, I really like sitting in these types of workshops. What are the potential scenarios for blockchain impact on your industry and how can you prepare for each of them? How will you know when it's the right time for your company to transition into using this technology? Investment in infrastructure. What changes to your IT infrastructure would be necessary to support blockchain technology? Are there flexible, scalable solutions you can invest in now that would ease a future transition? Customer and stakeholder communication. How will you communicate the potential changes to your stakeholders and how can you ensure their support if it matters? What feedback mechanisms can you put in place to gauge stakeholder sentiment about blockchain adoption? Talent acquisition and training. Do you have the right talent in-house to understand and implement blockchain tech or AI for that matter, like any emerging technologies? And do you need to recruit? What training programs do you need to initiate to build competency within your existing workforce? Now, I will mention that I am going to be hosting one or two uh, shows in the near future about Web3 talent, uh, recruiting, and, and you know what that job landscape looks like right now. So if that's of interest, please do stay tuned because I do anticipate those to be out somewhat soon before the end of the year for sure. Okay. So again, this is not a perfect formula by any means. And it was kind of thrown together by myself, really looking at what I see happening in the space, what seems to be emerging in terms of what matters right now. And of course, as per usual, just a lot of floating ideas of things that are potentially possible given the technology. So what I hope we've accomplished today is a slightly better understanding of what is tokenization, 
what can blockchain technology do and why might it matter for your business and taking an example like restaurants looking at the variety of ways this technology could be used and likely will uh, be used at least in the landscape um, and then what kind of questions might you be asking yourself to make sure that you're prepared i know this was a different format for this episode um and i know that, that uh, you may have had to bear with me a little bit. Um, I'm going to tell you right now that I learned a lot as I prepared for this. And so I expect some of it to sink in further <laughs> as I listen back. But I hope it's helpful. If you like these sort of deeper dives or use case explorations, please do let me know. I have, as I mentioned, set up a Facebook page. I know that's super old school, but I just want to trial it and see um, if people on that platform are, you know, missing out. Maybe they haven't been on some of the other platforms where I've typically been sharing information about this podcast. And also I am going to shout out threads because that's where I am personally spending a lot of time and going to be spending a lot more time with the podcast account. So join us on Facebook, join us on threads, and of course, all the other places you can learn more from the blockchain.org. That's it, everybody. I hope this wasn't too much. Thank you so much for joining me. Really, really appreciate it. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of From the Blockchain. I really hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any ideas about future episodes, including themes or potential guests, please check for a link in the show notes. Happy to hear from you. Also, if you're interested in being a potential sponsor for From the Blockchain, I'd love to hear from you as well. Check for a special link just for you in the show notes. All right, everybody. Again, thanks for being here. Love the show. Love being with you. Please remember to subscribe, review, and share with your friends. Until next week, have a great one.